I know that this is siesta time for some, and I have no, no uh, problem with that. So if anyone gets too sleepy, uh, you can even stretch out on a pew and uh, probably find a pillow somewhere. Anyway, we are delighted to have you here today. So I want to thank all of you for your presence. Obviously, uh, if there was only Pastor and Everett and Linda showed up, we'd, uh, we'd talk. We wouldn't do much, but we'd visit. So I'm delighted to have you. And uh, we are, real, shall we say, honored to have everybody here. Okay, if you got your Bibles with you, let's go to Jeremiah chapter number 30 for a beginning point with this lesson. Jeremiah chapter number 20, uh, 30. Jeremiah 30. Now, since we are so blessed today to have uh, someone named Jeremiah with us, I'm going to have him come up and read for us. And this will be uh, my dear friend and brother in Christ, Jeremiah Ridley from Zirconia, North Carolina. Now, this guy drove a long ways to be here particularly since he also attended the Houston conference with Pastor Everett and Sister Linda and all the folks that came there. He went back home to his job, quite a drive to North Carolina. If you haven't driven to North Carolina, you don't just get in your car and, and uh, blink your eyes a few times and get there. You gotta, you gotta, it takes a dedicated uh, time. And so he arrived back, he and his wife, Felicia, and went back to their jobs, and then they come right back here. Now, I have not inquired as to how they were able to derive that time, but nonetheless, our theme is Psalm 50, verse 5, Gather my saints unto me, those that have made a sacrifice by covenant. Those that have entered into a covenant by sacrifice. And I don't know anyone that has not paid some payment or sacrifice for the truth that you believe. If you believe in the truth, there's been a cost. It's, there's been a price for it. And so I want to thank uh, Jeremiah for being here. And I'm going to have him read now from Jeremiah chapter 30. Beginning at, beginning at verse number 1, and I'll have him finish at verse 11. So if you would follow him, he will be in Jeremiah chapter 30, and he will begin at verse 1, ending at verse number 11. The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write thee all the words that I have spoken unto thee in a book. For lo, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah, saith the Lord. And I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. And these are the words that the Lord spake concerning Israel and concerning Judah. For thus saith the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask ye now, and see whether a man doth travail with child, 
Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail, and all faces are turned into paleness? Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. For it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off thy neck, and will burst thy bonds, and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him. But they shall serve the Lord their God, and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. Therefore fear thou not, O my servant Jacob, saith the Lord, neither be dismayed, O Israel, for lo, I will save thee from afar, and thy seed from the land of their captivity, and Jacob shall return, and shall be in rest, and to be quiet, and none shall make him afraid. For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to save thee, though I make a full end of all nations, whither I have scattered thee, yet will I not make a full end of thee, but I will correct thee in measure, and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. Jeremiah, we are looking now at what I think are some very important prophetic words from the lips of the prophet Jeremiah as inspired from heaven. Now you'll notice in verse 7, Jeremiah says, Alas, alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble. Now we might ask the question, are we in the time of Jacob's trouble? Is the war in Ukraine a mere just part of that ongoing war that's being waged against the children of Jacob? That includes anybody that has Israelite genetic uh, heritage. They could be on the right, they could be in, in Ukraine, they could be in, in America, they could be in Australia, they could be anywhere. We're talking about the seed of Israel, the people of the book. So they are facing an enemy in the day of Jacob's trouble that becomes so overwhelming that appears that they are as a woman in travail. Now notice what the, what the words of Jeremiah are preceding verse 7. If you'll take a look again in verse number 6. Ask now and see whether a man doth travail with child. Well, I know before we entered the age of gender confusion, nobody would ever confuse a man giving birth but this is talking about the strangeness, the weirdness of associating a man with the reality of actual childbirth because the day of Jacob's trouble is going to be unlike any day that Israel has ever passed through. So if you believe that the Israelite people are the true descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then you would know that the day of Jacob's trouble is not a happy time for Jacob. Alas, for the day is great. None is like it. It's even the time of Jacob's trouble 
But praise our eternal God, he shall be saved out of it. Now, we all need to underline that little phrase, he shall be saved out of it, because we're not going to save ourselves. Nobody else is going to save us. We're not going to have some kind of a secret army come in and save us. We're not going to have some superstar rise up to save us and receive all the glory. The only one that's going to receive glory for saving Israel at the end of the battle is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's it. The, the, the war that we're in is his battle. If you want to look at that idea of this battle belongs to our king, you may want to consult 2 Chronicles chapter 20, when one of the great kings in ancient Judah, Jehoshaphat, found out that, and he learned and knew quite well that the battle does belong to the God of Abraham. It's his battle. And this is a long-standing war that's been raging. And the Ukrainian war is just a little part of that ongoing conflict with Jacob. Now, you people will remember that the Bible is a seamless book. That is to say, it's like a seamless garment. We don't take one little part of the Bible and imagine that it's not part of the whole. No part of the Bible can be separated out as an island unto itself from the remainder of the Bible. The book of Genesis is the plot story of everything that's going to happen after Genesis. If you get things right in Genesis, <clears throat> you may have an idea of getting it right in the book of Revelation. Meaning that if you don't get it right in the beginning, you're sure not going to have a good eschatology at the end. Your doctrine of last things at the final end is going to be somewhat tilted in different directions than being right. Now when we read these words from Jeremiah, and it says, Ask now, and see whether a man doth travail with child. Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins, as a woman in travail, and all faces are turned into paleness. I don't know how many of you people have been in the birthing process. <clears throat> how many have actually been with your wife during delivery? Now, some women have an easy delivery, but not all women. And particularly the first child, because the mother is uncertain about what, deliver, what a, a childbirth is. Now, I'm leaning heavily on Sister Diane, Sister uh, Jeannie, and uh, I believe that we're limited, limited, no, Linda, Sister Linda. So these three ladies will know that childbirth, even if, it's, even if it's normal, natural, and comes relatively easy, is not just a cakewalk, particularly firstborn children. They're, they're going to break the matrix. 
and everything is unknown to the mother. She never gave birth. Now, men have never given birth, and I got news for the dipstick dysphoric crowd. The lunatics, they're never going to see a man conceive a child, much less give birth to one. But in their stupid reality, now we, we, we're majoring today in America on stupid, on stupidity. We have become, in our effort to become educated beyond the previous generations, we have only personified our stupidity. If the former generations could rise up out of their graves and see the insanity that prevails among millions of Americans today, they would want to go back into their grave quickly and wait for the resurrection and be grateful that they were not allowed to live in the latter days because we are living in a crazy time. So back to Jeremiah likening the time of Jacob's trouble to childbirth. It's a traumatic event. My humble opinion is, in deference to the dear ladies sitting here today, I think it is the most traumatic experience that you can experience in this life to see a brand new child that's going to make their entry into the world from the quiet comfort womb of their mother, where they've grown very comfortable, cozy, and some of them are anxious to see what's on the outside of that womb, and they've been giving their mother a rough time. But a lot of them are somewhat reluctant, and it's no easy task for them to come down the birth canal. Now, birthing is why I believe the prophet Jeremiah used it as an ex as an example to describe how difficult the time of Jacob's trouble really is going to be, or really is, and we may, we may be in the preliminary throes of Jacob's trouble. Now, I, I sort of feel like we've experienced some contractions. I think that we've been experiencing contractions now uh, since March of 2020, when the deep state, the rhino Republicans joined up with the Democratic Party. We should better call it the Democratic Communist Marxist Party. And we can also throw in there the national news media. And they're all headed up by billionaire Edomite oligarchs that have their origin with Esau, Cain, Canaan, and a few other odd and end misfits. But they together have comprised a formidable enemy to Israel throughout the ages. Now I'm assuming that everyone here this afternoon is aware of what the Bible says about Edom. And you know the end of Edom is not a good one. In fact, there will be no Edomites in God's kingdom. All that is offensive to the God of Abraham will be removed from that kingdom. Now, I say that 
because Edomite oligarchs have a lot to do with the war in Ukraine. Edomites living both here in this country, Edomites living in Ukraine, Edomites living in Russia, in all the European countries, the Edomite oligarchs have found a nest and they're roosting in almost all countries of the Western world. I think there's probably, and this is a guess on my part, fewer of the Edomite oligarch billionaires, millionaires, multimillionaires, none of them are millionaires, they're all multi-multi-millionaires or billionaires. And I think there's probably fewer of them in Russia than there are in any country in Europe, though I could be mistaken on that. So we'll, we'll put that uh, at, at rest for more mature minds than mine. But I want to call your attention to the idea that Jacob's trouble is really, really encompassing a lot of Scripture in the prophets. And it would be foolish for me to encroach upon your time here this afternoon and go very deeply into the prophecies dealing with enemies of Israel headed up by Esau. But I would be remiss if I did not have you step over into Genesis chapter number 27 for just a moment. Genesis 27 in the 27th chapter of the book of Genesis, you are familiar with the wonderful story. It's a reality story. It's not fiction. It's a reality story. And the story of Genesis 27 is fundamental to understanding all about Edom and all about Jacob and the struggle between them. Struggle between Esau and Jacob. You'll remember that Rebekah and Jacob had managed to gain the birthright from an aging man named Isaac. Now, a, a correction, I'm wrong on that. That's, Jake, that's Jacob. Now, Jacob is growing old. He's got cataracts, and he can't see, very, very, but very dimly. So in Genesis 27, when Jacob gives hands down the birthright, Esau tried to claim what it was laying claim to that birthright. But that whole story goes back to a couple of chapters to Genesis 25, when Esau sold the rights to the, to, to the firstborn and to the birthright. You remember that story. He sold his birthright for a bowl of lentils. Now, when Esau sold his birthright to Jacob, it only demonstrates the faith that Jacob had in wanting that birthright. Now, Jacob was the twin brother of Esau, and he had good cause to want that birthright, so he bought it. Now, Esau, being the conniving 
brother that he was, I'm sure thought or assumed that he'd get that birthright back when the end of his father's days would come. So he not only wants that to lay claim to the birthright, but he wants the blessing of his father Jacob confirmed upon him. When he finds out, comes back from the hunt, that his brother Jacob has already been given the birthright, we'll break into that story by looking at Genesis 27, Genesis 27 and verse number 34. And I'll have my brother Stephen come up here and read that into the record. We're in Genesis chapter number 27, and we'll begin at verse number 34. And I'll stop you at the appropriate moment. And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with a great and exceeding bitter cry, and said unto his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. And he said, Thy brother came with subtlety, and hath taken away thy blessing. And he said, Is not he rightly named Jacob? For he hath supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he hath taken away my blessing. And he said, Hast thou not reserved a blessing for me? And I gave and I, Isaac. Oh, sorry. And Isaac answered and said <laughs> to Esau, Behold, I have made him thy Lord, and all his brethren have I given to him for service. And with corn and wine have I sustained him. And what shall I do now unto thee, my son? And Esau said unto his father, Hast thou but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And Isaac his father answered and said unto him, Behold, thy dwelling shall be in the fatness of the earth, and of the dew of heaven from above. And by thy sword shalt thou live, and shalt serve thy brother, and it shall come to pass, when thou shalt have dominion, and thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck. And Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father had blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then will I slay my brother Jacob. Thank you. Now, we see in these words here, beloved, that there's going to be eternal hatred between Jacob and Esau. Now, you'll notice that the promise to Esau would be this, that there would come a day when the yoke of Jacob would be lifted from his neck. Now, if you people know your history, Queen Victoria came to the throne in 1837. She lived on that, she ruled from, from that throne from 1837 to 1901. In 1900, in the year 1900, the white Israelite Anglo-Saxon Germanic Celtic Slavic people ruled the Western world. People-wise, they dominated the population. Thank you, Steve. You may sit down. The white population of Europe and all of the Western world was dominated 
by Jacob's seed in 1900 before and after for quite a while. But there was predicted a time when the yoke of Jacob would be lifted from Esau. Now, that yoke that we're talking about is rulership. And we are living today to see the reality of what I think is Jacob coming under the yoke now of Esau. And it's been happening now for some time. As a matter of fact, the Edomite Jews have been in power behind the throne for some time. They have been the powerhouse. They have been the movers and the shakers behind the scenes. They have been the ones to determine who is going to be, who is going to be installed as a potential president in this country or some other potentate in another country. They've been the kings and the and the uh, shakers and movers behind the scenes. And they're very much in control of America today. Uh, Obama is surrounded by them. He's, he's surrounded by these, these oligarchs, most of whom are in the shadows, because that's the way they operate. But they're, they're there, and they're, they're managing, they're managing things in this country, they're managing things in Ukraine, and they're in control of almost any NATO country you want to name. Now, I think they may have less control of Putin than they do these other countries, but that's not based upon anything that I can prove. It's just my surmise that Putin is less manageable to these oligarchs, and I say that because some of them have left Russia in the last uh, seven or eight months. They're, they're, they're leaving town. They're getting out of Dodge because they're not altogether comfortable in Russia. I don't know why, but uh, I think that's the way it is. What we, I think, if we go back to Jeremiah 30, you'll notice here that when it says in verse 7, he shall be saved out of it. If you go down then to that next verse, we're going to see that there's going to be a day when the yoke is lifted. Esau's yoke is lifted from Jacob. That's how he's going to be saved. He will be delivered from the power of Edom. Edom has now got Jacob by the throat. And he's choking the lifeblood out of Jacob. These two guys are in a, an, an eternal wrestling match. And Jacob's not faring so well. Esau's got the grip. He's got the power. He's got the money. He's got the influence. He's been controlling elections. And... When they counted the votes in 2020, we were sending the vote count out of this country to be counted. That's a little strange. You wonder why that is? It's because 
Esau Edom was making sure the count would end up the way they wanted it. They had to get rid of a man named Donald Trump. Now, whatever people may think of Donald John Trump, and I've lost some friends over this, and they, uh, they do no longer uh, have any fraternity with me because I supported Donald Trump. Now, the truth is, I still support Donald Trump. Not because I find him perfect. Not because I find him a flawless man. Not because... I find Trump completely virtuous in any sense of the word. And it's not because I wouldn't like to have some private time with Donald Trump to ask him a few questions and make some suggestions to him. But I'm sure he's a wiser man today than he was when he was installed as president after the election of 2016. Because I think he's learned a lot think he's learned a lot. But Donald Trump was doing some things that the billionaire Edomite oligarchs didn't like. And he was a man that they were having a tough time to buy. They, could, they found a man they couldn't really easily buy. Because if you yourself are a billionaire... I know they allege that he's not really a billionaire, but somebody owns all those skyscrapers with his name on the skyline around the world. So Donald Trump was not a man that they could control with money. He'd already had his fling with women, so not going to be easily trapped by bringing some young movie star, as they did in the days of John F. K. into the White House. So Donald Trump ran a pretty clean moral presidency. They had no liquor in the, in the White House because Donald Trump practiced absolute abstinence. He didn't drink. Now that would have been another way to find control over him because they'd get him inebriated and he'd feel happy. And he would be sharing things and accepting positions. So they had to get rid of Donald Trump. Donald Trump was upsetting the oligarchs, the Jew, Edomite oligarchs in this country, and the oligarchs in other countries of the West as well. Now, you'll notice that Donald Trump did not get us into any wars. His goal from the beginning was to, to terminate the wars we were already in and get us out of the wars that the Warhawks wanted us to get engaged in. Now, you know that the Rhino Republican uh, senators, and you know in the names of some of them, like Lindsey Graham, and some of those guys are dead set on keeping America with a war. Because they are in debt to the industrial military complex. They are bought and paid for. We have the best politicians in America that money can buy. And China owns some of them. The Edomite oligarchs own some of ev almost every one of them. Pray God that we've got a handful that are not owned by them. But I'm worried <laughs> always at the potential of them stumbling.
So they had to get rid of Donald Trump because he stood in the way. And the American people were being played the fool. Not everyone. There were millions of Americans that had their heads screwed on. But a great majority of them in places of power like the Edomite-dominated news media or people that had control of the microphone, these people were dead set on getting rid of Donald Trump. They were united. The deep state operatives buried deep, buried deep into the bowels of every department of the United States were set on eliminating Donald John Trump from the, from the office of president. They didn't want him to get in there in the first place. Now, he got in by surprise. They did not believe that Donald Trump possessed the ability to get in. They thought Hillary would just run over him. They, didn't, they underestimated the ability of the American people. Sometimes the American people wake up. They do come to a state of consciousness on occasion. Now, sadly, it's only on occasion that they actually come to a state of conscious awareness of what's happening. But I think enough Americans knew what was at stake back in 2015 when Donald Trump came down the escalator. And I'll be real honest, when he came down the escalator, I would not have voted him for dog catcher. Now, by chance, I had gone home for a sandwich that afternoon, not purposely, but I thought, you know, I'm hungry. I'm going to go home and fix myself a sandwich. So I go home, and I'm, you know, I'm fixing that sandwich. I thought, well, I'll turn the YouTube on just to see what's happening. <clears throat> and I did, and they were announcing that Donald Trump was announcing his candidacy for the Republican nomination. I thought, what a joke. What a laugh. And I actually laughed out loud to myself. Then while I'm fixing my sandwich, Ivanka talked. And I thought, well, he's got a daughter that can at least speak well. And she's loyal to the nth degree to her daddy. Thought, well, that's kind of credible. Have a daughter that is loyal to you. So I thought, well, that's, that's a pretty favorable thing. And then I listened to his talking points for his reason for entering the campaign. And incidentally, those talking points became the talking points for the entire campaign, either for or against them in some way. But I've only mentioned this to say that the Ukrainian war has deep roots that go way back into history. It's not something that just happened. Now, very few Americans are aware today, they used to be much more acutely aware, of the blessings accorded to this great land in its natural setting. America is one of, I think, without question, it is the wealthiest nation on the planet. And anything I say here is open for questioning. So... You hold me accountable, but I think America is the most blessed land on earth. When the Bible said, in the words of 
Jeremiah 33, when Moses said, Blessed of the Lord be the Joseph, blessed of the Lord be his land, for the precious things of heaven, for the dew and the deep that coucheth beneath, and for the precious fruits brought forth by the sun, for the precious things put forth by the moon, for the chief things of the ancient mountains, He goes on to describe the land of Joseph as being an abundantly blessed land in ways that no other land in Scripture, in Scripture, I should have said, are blessed. So America was blessed. We are bordered by two giant oceans, the Atlantic and the Pacific. The end of the Second World War, America was heavily invested in that war. However, the United States came out of that war strong. Because we had built up our military infrastructure, we had turned our industrial complex into making America become a war machine. We had the largest navy in the world in 1945 when the war ended. Now, America owned the seven seas. Their land, the United States, is separated by two giant oceans. We have enjoyed a uniqueness that Europe never enjoyed. If you live in one of the European countries, you've got contiguous areas adjoined to you on almost every side, unless you happen to be on a coastal area. So, in Europe, you have no independence geographically like America shared. So we could dabble in wars all over the world for a long, long time and feel relatively secure because we're insulated by two big oceans. We own the seven seas. The British Navy was severely crippled. China had almost none. And we, in the United States had vessels capable of dominating the oceans of the world. In that sense, beloved, it created a world where America could suddenly do about anything it wanted to do. But we didn't manage that power very well. And we haven't managed it in Ukraine well at all. But you'll remember that from the end of the, first, of the Second World War, in 1945, we fought the Korean War, 1950 to 1953. We turned right around and became involved in Vietnam in 1963, stayed there for 10 years, finally got tired of a no-win situation because Washington politicians would not let American generals win a war. They were political wars, undeclared by Congress. They were simply undeclared Edomite-dominated wars. And they were the means by which Edom is going to take Jacob by the throat, and they're going to ascend to dominance. Now, Jacob's still in power. 
But what do we do with that power? At the end of the Second World War, we were manufacturing everything you could imagine a nation needing made in the USA. And it was made good. It was a trademark for well-made throughout the world. We began to deindustrialize at the end of the war. You know that. And as we, in de as we deindustrialized, we started building up China and allowing countries that before that point in time had never enjoyed trade on a global basis. First of all, they couldn't protect their ships. They had no way of protecting their ships. But since America protected the seas at the end of the Second World War, and America was a kind nation, for the most part, we let whoever wanted to sail that ocean within certain guidelines take their produce, wherever, their, their exports, wherever they wanted to go. So it opened up a world of trade. And every year that world trade, that global trade operated, America became weaker. We began to lose jobs. Our factory system was dismantled over time. We entered into the great rust belt in the industrialized part of America. And the rest of all that is history because that's, that's all part of Esau gaining the dominion over Jacob. It was a process. It took some time. So all these no-win wars from Korea to Vietnam and thereafter in the Middle East, when George Walker Bush, correction, George Herbert Bush, daddy was in the office, uh, he entered into the Middle East. And we've now, we've been in the Middle East now for, uh, well, Putin finally, Putin finally made one of the most historic messes of, of any president in history when he ended the war in, in Afghanistan and made the United States the laughing stock of the world and made our military look sick and left $80 billion of military hardware there and the Taliban became the third most well-armed uh, people on the earth. Gratis, the United States of America, just a gift, just a gift. All part of the squandering of the American treasure and resources from this country. So we have, the, the war in Ukraine is an extension of this horrific struggle between two powers that has been ongoing for a long, long time. Now, you people are familiar with the WEC, the World Economic, I'm so, did I get that right? The World Economic Forum, the WEF, is that what it is? The WEF. There's a Jew, Edomite, by the name of Klaus Schwab, that he, that heads up that World Economic Order. But Billy Gates is also a member of that. And there are proselytes that they have garnered unto themselves. But there's a, a world of, of these Edomite oligarchs that are part of the World Economic Forum. 
Now, I'm going to pass around a sheet of paper here, and Steve, if you'd be so kind to share each one of these with a recipient that's here. Just let everyone be a recipient. If you run out, I've got others. Now, you'll notice that the, the sheet I'm going to pass out, and uh, Roger, would you be so kind as to pass these out as well? And uh, Fred, could I ask you to pass some of these out so we can make this a, a hurried operation? Now you'll notice, I don't think too many of you have great favorable attitudes toward Eisenhower. But Eisenhower did do one favor for the United States. When he was leaving office, he made a warning about the future growth of the military-industrial complex. Because he knew that there was a power structure that wanted to keep America in war. And the U.S. industrial military complex were making huge profits from wars. Billionaires are made during wars. And military officers are generally inclined to favor war because as long as they're sitting in an office in the Pentagon, there's not, they're not getting stars on their shoulders. They're not adding clusters. Their rank is much more difficult to, to find. But during wars, they find promotions much easier. So the, the, the officer corps is always, there's always pro-war people in the military in most every branch. That doesn't mean that all officers fall into that category. When we come then to the Ukraine war, and it's an extension of these no-win political wars that we've been waging in Korea, in Vietnam, in Central Asia, a 20-year stay in Afghanistan, a 10-year stay or maybe longer in Iraq, we were in Syria for a long time, as well as Iraq. And now, we are fighting another war, accepting this is a proxy war. We would like the world to believe that we are assisting and aiding Ukrainian people in an effort to be free. Well, that's far from true. Now, if anybody was really wanting to help the Ukrainian people, the population of Ukraine. It's a country with 43 million people. It is the second largest country in Europe. Historically, it is called the breadbasket of Europe. It has a very checkered history. If you've studied, studied Khazarian history, you know that the Khazars operated that land for a while, you know, or occupied there, and you know that many others it's been a cross-current uh, in European history for a very long time. So it's a, it's, a, it's a very coveted land in terms of its agricultural productivity. 
by far the most productive uh, part of Europe. And without the food that can be, the grain that can be produced in Ukraine, it poses a, a clear and present danger to the food supply of Europe. Now the Edomites know all of this. They, 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 are, they spend their time in their gated penthouses planning how they think the world should run. Now some of them may have a little bit of altruism and have a genuine desire to at least allow some people among Jacob's family to exist, to coexist, so long as they stay in their grip. They're not going to let them have any, they're not going to let them have them uh, ha ha extend too much rope. They're going to stay, keep their, their Anglo-Saxon boats close to shore. They don't want them drifting out into the sea and getting very much power. So what we have now in Ukraine is a proxy war. And from this point forward, beloved, I simply share opinions. I know very minimal about the Ukraine war. I've spent considerable time trying to find out everything I can. But I must admit that it's hard to find documented, provable, factual truth. Because there are so many different positions that you can find on about any part of a discussion in Ukraine. So it takes a lot of time and effort to get anything figured out with any certainty at all. So I'm not speaking to you with certainty at all. And maybe some of you or all of you have a far better opinion than I do. So I'm just sharing some ideas that I have. First of all, I'd like to suggest that if you look at this little paper that I passed out, you have a, a quote by two members of the World Council, the World Economic Forum. You have uh, Mr. Uh, Well, you know, I don't have the right. This is the same on both sides. Well, the, the, most, the more accurate paper had two different faces with two different quotes. So that's my problem. I was talking to someone when I was trying to reproduce this and didn't get it on the copy machine straight. You have Klaus Schwab saying that COVID-19 enabled the globalists to make the greatest step toward world government that they had been able to achieve. Bill Gates was so bold as to say that COVID-19 had done more to bring about world population control than anything could have possibly been accomplished. So COVID-19 was a very planned event. It was all part of the Edomite 
plan for the subjugation of Jacob. It's all part of this ongoing war between Jacob and Esau and all of the minions that uh, have joined Esau and very few that have joined Jacob because Jacob is getting uh, Jacob the Jacob gets most of their advice from oligarchs from Edom. They uh, Jacob is is really under the yoke right now because God has withdrawn his blessing from Jacob. Uh, it was prophetic. God prom- promised that this would happen. And he, he, he did not promise bec- this. He uh, did not promise that Jacob would lose the dominion because it might have been good for Jacob to hold on to it. It, be- it was because a sovereign God knew that Jacob would grow fat on materialism, on wealth. Jacob would become enamored with the wealth and the fatness of the earth that God had given them. And they would grow colder and colder to the instruction that their covenant God had given them. The Bible is specifically directed to Jacob and his descendants, telling them how they are to live. And when we follow the guidelines of a sovereign God, we're going to be blessed. When we walk in covenant relationship with that holy God, we are going to be blessed. And when we leave that relationship, we're going to come under judgment, and that's where America is today. We are a nation under judgment. It's not that God is judging us. We are judging ourselves. We are being judged by our disobedience to the divine will and commands of a covenant God. So all we would have to do to lift that curse is find America as a nation coming on their knees back to the God of Jacob, acknowledging and confessing that they have broken covenant, that they have walked away from the covenants of their God, And then Jacob, under due confession of their sin debt, unpaid sin debt, I might add, an unpaid sin debt that's larger than the the debt that we owe to the money changers. They say we owe $30 trillion to the central bank cartels of of Edom. Well, let me say we owe a sovereign God, a lot more than $30 trillion. We owe a sovereign God $30 trillion plus payment for the sins we've committed against Him. So that's the debt we would really need to resolve if we want His blessings. I don't see that happening. I think America is now a nation willfully deliberately disobeying the laws of Scripture, infanticide, homosexuality, race mixing, these are now wholesale crimes against a holy God. There's no way in the world that God can bless Jacob under those conditions. So my understanding of Jacob's trouble 
is that Jacob's going to be brought to a time when all the known resources that they've ever depended upon are suddenly gone. All of the great wonderful things and blessings will suddenly have been vaporized and they are going to be standing naked before a holy God. And they're going to be crying out. And when Joel said, let the priest, the ministers of God weep between the porch and the altar. And let them cry out and say, spare thy people, O God. Give not thine heritage to reproach that the heathen should rule over them. Joel 2.17. I think we're coming to that day. I don't think we're there yet. But I think even a lot of mainstream preachers like, you know, I think that with all due regard, I think John MacArthur has called for repentance. He just preached a sermon to Governor Newsom. And he didn't shut his church down during COVID-19. So kudos to John MacArthur. I know he is, may not have all of his theology right, but I think his heart is right to the, to the limitations of his knowledge. I think he's acting as a man of faith, and he's not alone. There are some God-fearing, Bible-believing, blood-washed, sin-hating preachers up and down this land in certain places. But they're not, they're not being given a very, a very favorite treatment by the news media today. Now, in the absence of repentance, and the danger we face today, beloved, is that I think our rebellion is willful. It is deliberate. We no longer have any desire to come to repentance. As Isaiah chapter 18 would so carefully outline, we have lost the desire to repent. That desire has vaporized from the American spiritual mind. So now there's a remnant in this nation. How big is that remnant? Only a sovereign God knows. I think that there's more people than we think. I think that there are more people than we might imagine. I'm with the Republican Party up here once a month. And I go there because I want to know that these people, what they're thinking. And when it comes down to the final countdown, I'd rather have them be my friend than to have heard and listened to all the rumors about a white supremacist racist church. So now in a time, there was a time when I couldn't, would not be allowed to even come to their Republican gatherings. Now they welcome me. And they actually have me lead them in prayer. Surprise, surprise. We have one of those members coming here Wednesday, Dr. Ronald Jones, good friend of mine, member of the Republican Party. And a lot of these people are well aware they are aware of the fact that we are a nation. They have only limited knowledge of the real struggle between Jacob and Esau. But they're on their way. And some of them are ready. They're, they're getting ripe to know a lot. As one of them said to me one day, 
We would love to come and be in the Church of Israel, but we haven't figured out how to keep our business open and do that. So he says, right, for right now, we're going to have to keep our business open so you won't see us. But we're with you. Well, that, that helps me know that the remnant may be bigger than we think. Because I know a world of people that did not line up for the injection here in Vernon County. They said no, no, and no to an experimental injection of a protein therapy that had nothing to do with preventing disease, infectious disease. It had everything to do with population control and reduction. Reduction and control. And we've only seen the beginning of those who are going to suffer death. Now, for the, for the record here, folks, I know a couple of people that run mortuaries here in Vernon County and Barton County to the south. And they have told me that they have never been so busy burying people as they have in the last six months. And I've had friends, and I've actually done funerals for people I went to high school with whose relatives were vaccinated and died. As one of my best friends told me the other day, because he knew he and his wife argued for two months before they finally knuckled down and got vaccinated. His wife died within days after he, she was vaccinated. And he told me the other day, he says, Dan, he said, I really believe, I really believe that we were lied to by the United States government. He said, if I had it to do again, we would have never taken that injection. He said, I think it killed my wife. Now, he no longer trusts anything the government is saying. Because they took his wife from him, and he's a bitter man. You can imagine how he feels. So, when we look at Ukraine, beloved, it's all part of the ongoing conflict between Jacob and Esau. As I indicated, Jake, uh, Ukraine has been a coveted land. Now, I know that the American public at large, and this is based upon what I think is true, but I, again, I'm, I'm, I'm not able to be a fact checker on this. This is an opinion. But I believe that a majority of the people, when the Russian invasion of Ukraine took place, on February 24, 2022, when that invasion took place, and you'll remember that Russia had been camped out on the borders of Ukraine for some time before that invasion. Do you know why they were camped out there? Because they were hoping there would be a diplomatic movement on the part of NATO and the United States to resolve the problem of whether Ukraine is going to be admitted into NATO, whether Ukraine is going to be admitted into the European Union, and whether the United States is going to finance future color revolution revolutions in Ukraine as they did in 2014 when they upset the pro-Russian leader 
and caused him to advocate and leave the country, flee the country, and thereafter the deep state in the United States funded by the Edomite oligarchs supplied Ukraine with leadership. Now you remember that the second impeachment of Donald Trump came because they were worried about what he might have said to Zelensky in a telephone call. They were worried sick because they were afraid Zelensky was their man. And the oligarchs were, were scared to death because they, they thought that Donald Trump might have said something that might have offended Zelensky or that he might be up to some kind of what they called a Trump trick. And they didn't know what Donald Trump might have done, so the best thing to do is let's impeach him for that call. Had no basis for it. Impeachment didn't, real, didn't come to realization. But Trump's the only man ever impeached twice in one term in United States history. No other president's ever been in, they've never charged another a president with chargeable crimes that uh, was a charge strong enough for impeachment. And the crimes that were charged with Trump are questionable whether they're even within the purview of the United States Constitution. Nonetheless, he, they didn't get him impeached. That's, that's the big thing. So the remnant is alive in America. How much alive, we don't know. The red flag laws are designed to get, confiscate the guns through the back door. Any state that passes red flag laws is setting in motion the suspension of the Bill of Rights, First Amendments of the Constitution, particularly the Second Amendment, because it gives the power of a neighbor to make a call to an authority in their county and say, my neighbor is acting strange. My neighbor has weird ideas. And I think that his being armed is a dangerous thing. Now, without probable cause as required, they can get a judge to sign off on this and get his gun confiscated without due process, historically speaking, by definition, under the United States Constitution. So red flag laws is a, is a means by which they can scuttle the Second Amendment without ever dealing with trying to deal with it legislative. Now, the Democratic Party and the rhinos and the entire solidarity of the Democratic Marxist Party are one, joined at the hip with the national media. So you cannot trust, you cannot trust anything that's coming out over CNN I know they've recently fired a couple of people to the joy and pleasure of a lot of people, but they're still way out in the left. So we can't trust the news media. Now the war in Ukraine as to its actual 
actual uh, startup, Russia gave the West plenty of time for diplomacy. This is my opinion. Vladimir Putin gave the West a lot of time for diplomacy. Camped his army out. What better signal could he say, I'm going to invade this country if you people insist on bringing Ukraine into NATO. And if you insist on NATO, uh, Ukraine becoming a member of the economic European market, and you are going to promote and finance color revolutions, that means campaigns to create revolution within the Ukraine to overthrow any Russian control, then we have no alternative but to invade Ukraine. You refuse diplomacy, you're leaving us with no recourse. I don't think that Putin was looking for war, but I think that he felt like that he would go down in history, and I don't, I'm not a friend of Vladimir Putin. I know he was a member of the KGB in his early days in life. I, I'm not, you know, I'm not doubting the fact that he has a checkered history. So I don't, he's, not a, he's not someone that I think you can trust and be a friend with. But I don't think he is the weird guy that he's being painted to be by the news media. The problem I have is that the same national news media, the same rhino Republicans, the same deep state operatives, the, sta the same Democratic Marxist party that has been operating in this country now for some time, and particularly promoting Russian collusion during Donald Trump's reign in the White House, and promoting all the anti-Trump campaigns through that period in time that he was president, those are the very same people that wanted us to turn against Putin. They're the very same mouthpieces that came over the microphone and tried to convince America that we had to go to the support of Ukraine and supply them with whatever military hardware they needed to win against Putin. They wanted Putin defeated, so it became a proxy war. America's at war with Russia, but they're doing it in a cowardly way, and it's certainly not that I want them to be at war with Russia in a bold way. The United States has no business in the Ukraine period. NATO has no business in Ukraine, and neither does Russia. Ukraine should be a free and independent autonomous nation. So the three things that Putin was fighting against was the entry of Ukraine into NATO. Number two, he was very much opposed to Ukraine being a part or a member of the Economic Union. And number three, he wanted to guarantee that the United States would not meddle in Ukraine and foment future uprisings like they did in 2014. 
Now, the United States, of course, would not hear that. Joe Obama would not give any uh, credence to that idea at all. He didn't want diplomacy. The West did not want to make a peace deal with Ukraine. Why? Because Ukraine is part of the COVID-19 reset that was launched by the World Economic Forum. And for the benefit of everyone here today, the World Economic Forum is nothing more than a nice sounding title for the, to support the very same people that wrote the protocols in 1897. Theodore Herzl, a leading Edomite Jew, in 1897 headed up the World Zionist Congress in Switzerland. This is an authentic first edition copy of the Protocols, copy of this book during the Bolshevik Revolution was an automatic death sentence. You dare not be caught with this book. This belonged to one of the people in the sedition trial in 1942. Now, the, the author of this book had made copious notes all through the Protocols. Now, I said moments ago that this is an age-old battle. Ukraine is just part of that age-old, ongoing struggle that had its beginning many, many, many generations ago. When God said in Genesis 3.15, speaking to Satan, and I will put enmity, that's hostility, that's hatred, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. That is a far-reaching prophecy. It's called the Proto-Evangelium, because it's the first hint of the gospel, that from the woman's seed will become the deliverer that will be the serpent crusher. Romans 16, 20. St. Paul speaking, and I pray God that Satan, that Satan will be crushed under your feet shortly. So this, this ongoing conflict between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent is an age-old battle. A lot of people do not want to deal with it, but they will acknowledge that in order to get a Messiah into the world to be born of a virgin, that the woman will become the woman of, of Genesis 3.15 will become the line through which a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Now, that's the only reason that that could say and use the language that's covered in Genesis 3.15 because there is a messianic line, a pedigreed line, running from Adam to Noah, ten generations, running from Noah to Abraham, ten generations, then beginning with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we're going to carry that messianic line all the way down 
to Joseph and Mary. Now, what's even more important, beloved, is that messianic lineage, genetic lineage, is also the pedigreed seed of Jacob. They are the people that the Messiah is going to be saving. They are the people that Isaiah had reference to in chapter 27 of Isaiah verse 6. They that come of Jacob shall take root. Israel shall blossom and bud and fill the face of the earth with fruit. Think about that verse for a while. The seed of Jacob is to become the most proliferated race of people on earth for a while. They're going to dominate the world. A little British garrison sent to India will control the empire called India. A little garrison from the British Empire can be sent to any country in the world during the days of Queen Victoria. And it only takes a handful of Ephraim and their military proudness to govern great, great nations like India or even like China. Because Jacob's seed ruled the world. They had the dominion, but friend, I think we've lost it. We've given it up. We're now under a chokehold from Esau. But the, the promise is that we shall be delivered. If you go to the next verse after Jeremiah 30, verse 7, 8 and 9, it tells you clearly that his yoke shall be broken. That's a heck of a promise. It's a promise that the yoke of Esau will be broken. Not by any military effort on the part of Jacob. Not because out of the United States or some other Israelite nation is going to rise up some lone ranger on uh, crying high old silver to save us. But because a sovereign God will keep his promise to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and the patriarchs through the ages. So the Ukrainian war is but one chapter in an ongoing struggle, and we're, we're only seeing the beginning of Jacob's trouble. Our good friend and pastor, Everett Ramsey, mentioned this morning, we got some difficult days ahead. And folks, I think we really do. I think we've got some very grim days ahead. It would be wonderful to be able to preach uh, you know, a, a sermon on uh, peaches and cream and roses. And I love euphoric optimism. But my, my, my honest belief is that Jacob is, is in the woodshed now, and the paddle really hasn't yet been applied. But our Father in Heaven is looking for a good, proper switch. And whatever it's going to take to humble Jacob... Get ready for it, it's coming. Now, will it mean the shrinking of more population? Have we only seen the beginning of more infectious epidemics? Bill Gates himself said there'll probably be another one. 
So my, my suggestion to all people is to live healthy. As healthy as you know how. And we all ought to stock up on vitamin D3, so they say. Zinc, vitamin C, and keep yourself close to God. Live healthy. We we need to do whatever we can do, because we've got a, a battle to fight. The battle we have to fight is to keep God's people stabilized and not running off to trade their faith for fear. Jesus said, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation. Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Our king has already been to Calvary and back. He knows what it's like to be at the end of the trauma of a, of an, of a very bloody time. So he's been there and done it. He's our leader. We call him King Jesus. And you, everybody needs to know that the Savior on the white horse is none other than the one across whose vesture is written. His name is the Word of God. And you can turn to Revelation 9, 19, verse 11, and find out who's riding the white horse. It'll tell you who's on the white horse. It'll also tell you there's an army that follows him. So our, our, we, we've, got a, we've got a wonderful plan of deliverance, but we've got some, some days to live through. And I don't know how many of us will be living to the end of Jacob's trouble. I know the Bible itself, a lot of people believe the book of Revelation has all been wrapped up, ribbon around it. Don't need to look at it anymore. It's all fulfilled. That's the position of hyper historist, otherwise known as preterist. But I would like you to know this. Revelation 11, Revelation 11 verse 15 says, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Friend, that hasn't happened yet. So I got news for the preterist. At least Revelation eleven fifteen has not happened. So my, my suggestion is, beloved, that every Israelite batten down the hatches, speak out, be a seed planter, each one teaching one, guiding each one that you can find that's got an open heart, and adding to the remnant such as should be saved. Acts 2.47, And the Lord God added to the church such daily such as should be saved. Not everyone is designated to be saved. But the ones that are will need to be the recipients of the seed of Bible truth.